You know, I'm going to minister on healing again. I started on that last night. I would like to ask Alan and Debbie Moore. Would you guys come up here and share your testimony? These are friends of ours. They're partners of ours. They work for Kenneth Copeland Ministry. And uh, Alan just had an awesome miracle happen. And I'd like them just to share it with you about healing. I think it'll fit perfectly with what we're going to be doing here today. I saw y'all come up last night. Didn't know you were here until you were praying with people. Good to see you. Praise the Lord. Just just share with them what happened and what God's done for you. Uh, June 15th of this year, uh, I was going out in the yard and working with the ground. And uh, I was attempting to push a wheelbarrow to move some dirt. And I just felt I needed to lay down a little bit. And so I just laid down on the ground. And uh, after a little while, my wife came out to check on me and saw me laying on the ground. And she said my eyes were fibrillating or something. They were just quivering. And then she called the ambulance because she'd never seen this, you know, seen this kind of action happening. And my eyes were rolling in the back of my head. And uh, after a while, the ambulance people made the decision I had to be care flighted into the stroke center. So then I was uh, uh, flown down into the stroke center, and they decided that I'd had a... uh, one, my central cerebral artery had been blocked. So that, that according to the MRI, they showed us about a third of the brain was dead on my right side. And they're, in, their, in their diagnosis, they're saying, okay, this is what's the things he's going to be suffering. His whole uh, left side is going to be paralyzed. He's not going to be able to swallow. And so they're, they're, they're going through all these things. Well, I'm kind of out of it at this time, but uh, they had, they were recommending a, blot, a clot-busting drug for us. And at that time, I just said, I, I, this is not for me. I just, I, just, I just didn't have any peace about this drug from being right for the situation. And we let, found out later that the, the uh, doctor that was, was make, trying to make that decision was really torn whether this was right for me. Well, the other doctor came and said, well, they, they've already refused it. And so... Uh, Later, we were told that this cot-busting drug would have caused me to hemorrhage in my brain and die. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't right for me, but I just believed it. We, we'd, for two months Why would they this, give a drug that's going to cause you to hemorrhage and die? Uh, it's supposed to be good to actually stop a stroke, but in his case... It, because he didn't have carotid arteries, okay, right. it would have went straight to his brain, and it would have made the brain hemorrhage, and then his brain would have died. It would have fallen into his skull, and he would have been dead in 30 minutes. But wow. I want to interject here something that we were, we've been with Andrew for four or five years, and we have been listening to his teaching constantly. I mean, we have it on iPods, and wherever we go, Andrew goes with us. And... Two months before this happened, Christian survival came up in our hearts. And we started to listen to Christian survival. And John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled, let not your heart be troubled. Well, when I found him out there, I went over to him and I said to him, look, I said, you are not going anywhere. I said, I want to tell you something. I said, you die, I'm raising you from the dead. I said, you are not going anywhere. I 
texted me because I said, you promised me that we were going, we were going to minister together. And I said, and I see his eyes fibrillating, like he said. I see them rolling in the back of his head, you know. And I ran in to call the ambulance. And as he said, he was careful headed out of there. But I'll tell you what, you, har- you listen to that harnessing your emotions. You listen to you've already got it. And you won't have a problem whenever the enemy comes to try to still kill and destroy. Because I didn't have a problem through that trial at all. I was steadfast and unmovable. And it's because this man got a revelation and I got a hold of his revelation and I ran with it. And I thought to myself, there is no way you are going to steal from me. There is no way. Because what you don't know is that I lost a husband 23 years ago. And I thought to myself, you have not come. You are not coming to my house again. And I'll tell you, listening to that, listening to that and, and separating yourself from the world, separating yourself from the news and all those things, and just pumping that word in and pumping the teaching in that he has taught us was the best thing I've ever done. I've been a Christian for 49 years, and I have never, ever been in the place that I am in right now, and I love it. Because when I had to face doctor after doctor after doctor, because he was out of it, and they kept saying to me, I don't think you understand. I think you're in denial. I said, yeah, I deny it. The right to stay is the denial that I'm in, you know? And they said to me, they said, Um, we think that you're not comprehending. I said, I comprehend. I said, by the stripes of Jesus, he's been healed and made whole. And they kept saying to me, you're not listening to our report. And we have, we have a wonderful uh, doctor that he was assigned to. He's a Hindu. And he says to me, you did not want our reports. And I said, I could not afford your reports. I said, (laughs) I had a report and it trumped over your report. And you know, that had to be in me before this hit us. I couldn't go to the word at that time and pull out the word and say, okay, God, what scripture is it that I'm standing on? Okay. I had to have that on the inside of me. And I was so thankful for you. And I I thanked him when we were at the conference up in Colorado, I said to him, thank you for your teaching. And thank you that you're so tenacious about what you teach. But because of that, he's alive today. And I thank Jesus Christ for what he did. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, you can see that the devil had his hands full. Yeah, and I told him. I I tell you what, she's tenacious, isn't she? I told him, I said, I'm going into your camp and I'm taking people that you thought you had. I'm going into your camp, into that Hindu camp, and I'm taking back what the enemy has stolen, you know? So I'm excited. I'm excited about where I am, but I'm going to another level, you Amen. know? And so I've just kind of upped your teaching. And I've awesome. upped my, my time in the Word, spending time uh, getting so acquainted with the Father that loves me so much. And that was another thing. You know, you taught me that God loved me. And boy, I'll tell you what, when you know that, you can go through anything and you see it and you think to yourself, nothing can defeat you. Nothing can defeat you. Praise God. Awesome. You got anything else, Alan? <laughs> I just know there's, there's so many series that build upon one another. Yeah. You know, you like spirit, soul, and body and everything. And you just, you just start laying that foundation. And, and then you can get to the point where you can start hearing some other things that are going to help you. And I, I just knew that I wasn't reacting to situations like I should. But now when I have Christian survival, I just know I have a different perspective. That if I don't panic... Man, God's going to be able to guide me. But if I'm just going to let my emotions run wild, man, you're going to start speaking stuff that's going to lead you the wrong way. And so, you know, just get these series and just go over them and, and let that uh, strong house be established for you. 
to stand. Tell them we told you not to take the clock busting. And uh, part of their, what I believe that the Lord brought to my remembrance to, to not have the clock busting drug was Andrew told the story about in one meeting, he, like he meets with people, and eight people, I guess, had taken some drugs, and one lady was blind, and they'd yeah. suffered a bunch of things. And so I, I said, no, no. Uh, this thing is not going to defeat me. It's going to be what my reaction to the pressures on me that's going to that's going to defeat me. And I said, so I need to know what I need to do in this situation. And I believe, therefore, I was able to say, no, this drug is not for me. And it really spoke to this doctor too, you know. And I believe we're going to we're going to leave a uh, lasting effect in this doctor's life. Amen. Amen. To see this, you know, we can stand fast. Awesome. Thank you all. God bless you. Awesome. Isn't that great? You know, I love to pray for people and see miracles happen, but that's what really winds my crank is to see people get the truth and then them believe God. That's the only way we're ever going to really change our world is not to have everybody go out and be a one-man band themselves, but we have to take what God has done in our life and share it with other people so that other people can start receiving. You know, I, I talked to another lady back here that came to my meetings in Shreveport. I forgot how many years ago, 20 years ago or something. was healed of ovarian cancer right here. Stand up so they can see a miracle right here. A woman was healed of, of cancer. Thank you, Jesus. And she said it was a recurring ovarian cancer, but has been set free since then. And man, that's what we need to see is where people can grab hold of the truth. And instead of having to call somebody to pray for you, which again, we're, you know, if you're in that situation where you need somebody to pray with you, I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm saying do what you've got to do to walk in health, but recognize it. I'm not available all of the time. Other people aren't always available, but Jesus is always with you. The power that he has given you is within you. And every one of us can walk in the supernatural power of God. You do not have to have somebody else to always do it for you. You know, let me just insert this. This is like a parenthesis in what I started talking about last night. I talked about that it's God's will for every single person to be healed every time. God is not the source of our sickness. And let me just insert this real quickly that until you reach a place of maturity, until you get to where your faith is strong, this is why God gave gifts to the body of Christ, such as the gift of healing and the gifts of miracles. The reason he gave this is because if the only way that you could be healed was for you to develop and get strong in your faith so that you just received it on your own, what would happen if a person got born again this morning and only had 24 hours to live and it was going to be a year before they could get the word of God into their heart and mature and reach a place to where they could believe? People would be doomed like that if the only way to receive was just through faith and a word of faith in believing God. And so to help people during that trans transitional time while you're growing, God gave certain gifts to the body of Christ, people that have the gifts of healings and miracles and things like this. And uh, the purpose of that is that when you are in a tight spot and you don't have the faith or the maturity uh, to get it on your own, you go to somebody with one of these supernatural gifts and they function and you get healed basically off of their gift and off of their faith. 
And God does have people like that in the body of Christ, and that does function. But the problem has been that the body of Christ has not learned how to develop on their own and to believe God. They have depended upon these gifts, which were never meant to be the only way to receive from God. They were just meant to help you while you were growing and while you were getting established. And the average Christian today doesn't know how to believe God and how to stand on their healing. And so they have to run to somebody else who's operating in one of these gifts and basically receive their miracle from them. But you know, that doesn't work when those people are out of town. That doesn't work in the middle of the night. You can't call those people in the middle of the night. You don't have their personal phone number. And praise God, we all need help. I'm not telling you that you should get to where you're too proud to admit that, man, I need somebody to pray with me and agree and help me. But I am saying we shouldn't live there. We shouldn't stay there. We ought to grow and mature. And the body of Christ as a whole has not grown and matured. We are, uh, there's a tremendous amount of people who don't even believe in healing today. And then those who believe in healing have done it primarily by seeing these people that have the gifts of miracles and the gifts of healings come through. And they depend upon them and they've learned how to have just momentary faith in a gift and come and, and receive. But even though God can use that, that is not the best way to receive. You know, Benny Hinn right now is drawing, I guess, the largest crowds of anybody, and he has the gift of miracles, and he sees a lot of things happen. I've only been to one or two of his meetings, but I used to go to Catherine Kuhlman's meetings and usher in them, and uh, I, I know from experience, and I heard Catherine Kuhlman say this, that she would see, you know, 5,000 people or so come to a meeting and there might be 50 people healed. Now, even though that's good that 50 people are healed, that's about 1% of the crowd. And then, of her own mouth, about 90 to 95% of those people who received healings didn't keep them. They lost it. The thing came back on them. And the reason being that they were genuinely healed. I mean, I was in Catherine Kuhlman's meetings. I remember taking one woman out of a stretcher and because of fire code rules, we had to put them in chairs and clear the aisles. And so I had to pick this woman up. And this woman couldn't have weighed 60 pounds dripping wet. I mean, I could put my hand around her thigh. She was bone. It was impossible for this woman to stand. All she had eaten was a spoonful of liquids for months. And she had been going to every one of Catherine Kuhlman's meetings. And anyway, I was the one that picked her up off that stretcher and put her in a chair. And then uh, after my ushering duties were through, I went right down on the front row. And I was sitting on the front row. I was watching, wanted to see what happened. And this little woman that I had taken out of that stretcher and put in a chair was running up and down the aisles and then got her stretcher and was pushing it and jumping on and off the stage. She was healed. I know she was healed. It wasn't mind over matter. Power of God touched that woman. I saw some mighty miracles happen. But you know what? Out of Catherine Kuhlman's own mouth, 90 to 95% of those people lost that healing because they themselves hadn't learned how to believe and stand on it. They came and got a miracle through somebody else. And if, if you get your miracle through somebody else, then you are vulnerable. Satan is going to come and try and steal away the Word. And if you don't know what the Word says, and if you haven't grown, you're going to have Satan steal that from you. So again, this is how the body of Christ works. God wants you to mature to where you can believe God and you can receive. And like Deb was saying over here, man, I tell you what, she was just on the devil like a coat of wet paint, amen. 
And she wasn't going to let the devil steal Alan from her. That's, what, that's the way that you need to be. And the Bible says if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. I talked to at least four or five people last night who were in bad situation. And I told them, I said, you're too passive. You've got to fight. You've got to resist. resist. The word resist means to actively fight against. You've got to get angry. God gave you a temper, not so you could get mad at your husband or your wife, but so you could be mad at sickness, so that you get stirred up, so that you refuse to do this. Man, you need to get stirred up. If you don't get stirred up, you'll settle to the bottom. Amen. You need to get stirred up and angry and we need to fight and we need to do that, but not all of us are there yet. And if you aren't there, well, then God does have certain people in the body who can help you temporarily, but they are never meant to be a substitute for you believing God and trusting God. And my gifting is a teacher and God has laid it on my heart to try and teach people and disciple people to where you can do these things. And one of the greatest joys that I have and one of the things that I just love, I know Wendell, we've talked about this, to see these people come and teach them and impart into their life 20 hours a week for two or three years. We are seeing people come in one way and leave another way. We're seeing the word change people and we're seeing people leaving our school who are, I mean, strong as garlic. And they are seeing miracles happen and they are seeing awesome things happen. And I know it's transferable. What I'm doing is not a gifting that just a couple of people have. I am teaching and discipling and this is what God told us to do. And every person in here, if you will receive it, And if you will put the effort into it, every person in here can get to a level to where you walk in healing the way that I do. I'm not seeing things perfectly. I still don't see everything happen. I haven't got it all figured out. But praise God, I've seen my son raised from the dead. I've seen multiple people raised from the dead. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. I have walked in divine health, supernatural health. And I believe that you could at least reach the level to where I'm operating if you would take these truths and operate in it. And so that's the reason I'm teaching on this. So last night I was talking about how that you've got to, first of all, believe that it is God's will to heal. If you doubt on that, if you give any ground on that, and if you just think God can heal, but you aren't sure that He will heal or wants to heal, then you are going to be talked out of it every time. The devil will convince you that you're the exception, that there's something in your life that has made you unworthy and you will not be able to believe that you receive when you pray, which is what Mark eleven twenty four says you must do. You have to believe you receive when you pray, not when you see it, but when you pray. And you can't have that confidence if you waver on is it God's will to heal. You have to know that it's God's will to heal. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I mentioned... Last night, this at the very end of the teaching, and I've got to deal with this because this is a passage of Scripture that people have used to teach that God doesn't heal everybody and that God even has a redemptive purpose in sickness, that God puts sickness on you to teach you things and to make you humble and to make you better. That has been taught, I'd say, by the majority of the body of Christ today. The majority of Christians believe that God doesn't heal everybody And that sometimes sickness is even from God. And one of the things that I'm sure all of you have heard about in here is Paul's thorn in the flesh. And people will use this to teach that God doesn't heal everybody. 
So let's look at these verses. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, I've got a lot to say about these verses, and so I'm going to be dealing with this uh, in quite a bit of detail. But let, I could just sum this up by saying this. Paul made it very clear that the reason he had the thorn in the flesh was because of the abundance of the revelations. And so, let me say it this way. That until you write half of the New Testament, <laughs> until you do what Paul did, you got no business hiding behind his thorn in the flesh. This was specifically linked to the fact that this man was being used of God in such a powerful way. And it was because of the abundance of the revelations, because he got it directly from God and communicated, wrote half of the books in the New Testament. Until you get to where you have that kind of a revelation, you, don't, you shouldn't even relate to Paul's thorn in the flesh. And yet, I couldn't tell you how many people I've talked to that have hidden behind Paul's thorn in the flesh saying, oh, I'm just like the Apostle Paul. Oh, really? How many lives have you changed? I'm not sitting there trying to put anybody down, but I'm saying that, see, it's amazing how people just pick and choose and they say, oh, I'm like the Apostle Paul. Paul said this happened because of the abundance of the revelations. If you haven't got abundance of revelation like the Apostle Paul, you got no business claiming his thorn in the flesh. Amen? Plus, his thorn in the flesh wasn't sickness. Look at this. In verse 7, he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation. Now, he mentions this twice in this verse. He starts off by saying that at the end, and he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure. When people think about being exalted above measure, they immediately think that this is talking about arrogance and pride. And, and so this thorn in the flesh came to bring Paul down and to keep him humble and keep his feet on the ground. I've heard people say that exact thing. But there are so many scriptures that talk about humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of scriptures that talk about God exalting you. And God will set you on high and make you all of these things in the sight of other nations and that they will envy you. Not all exalting is bad. But people have a predisposition. They are looking for something that is justifying being sick. Forgive me for being blunt. But this is something that people read stuff into these verses because it fits what they want the word to say. They have a predisposition, a prejudice that God doesn't heal because they haven't seen healing work for themselves and so they're looking for something that will justify them not being healed and so they read stuff into this. There is a godly exalting. And I believe that this is talking about that Paul was being exalted by God to such a degree that there was given unto him a messenger of Satan. Look at this. It says in this seventh verse, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. It clearly says, I mean, you can't make it any clearer than this, that this was the, was the messenger of Satan, not the messenger of God. And yet people ascribe this to God, that God did this to him to humble him. No, there was a godly type of exalting. This was a demonic messenger. The word messenger here is used 300 and something times in the New Testament and there's less than a, a dozen of those times that it referred to people. The other times it was all referring to angels. 
It's always referring, nearly always referring to angels. This is talking about that there was an angel, a demonic angel that was assigned to the apostle Paul. And it says it was from Satan, not from God. This did not come from God. God did not do this to the apostle Paul. I don't know why it's so hard to see that. It's just the fact that it's been said so often. It has been misrepresented so often. You know, this is what uh, the communist uh, and propaganda was all about. You just tell a lie so many times. After a while, people begin to start putting some stock in it because it's been repeated so often. They can't tell what the truth is anymore. And we've heard this said so many times, but this says that it was a messenger of Satan, not a messenger of God, a messenger of Satan. And notice it says that it was a thorn in the flesh. You know, to most people here, most of us do not really study the word the way that we should, but to the Jewish mindset that Paul was writing to, did you know that this was a terminology that was familiar to them? The Jews had to memorize the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, the Pentateuch, and that they memorized that. The young men did. And in those books, man, there are instances where it uses this terminology. Let me just use a couple of them here over in... Um, Numbers chapter 33. I believe it's verse 35. Look at this passage. It's talking about the Jews driving out all of the inhabitants of the land. And it says, if you don't do it, in verse 55, but if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. This same thing is said, the exact same thing is said in uh, Judges chapter, or excuse me, it's Joshua chapter 23, verse 13, I believe, in Judges chapter 2, verse 13, or 3, somewhere around there. Three different times I could turn to them and show you. It's talking about that people are pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sight. This is a terminology that they were familiar with, and it dealt with people. And so this messenger of Satan was a thorn in the flesh. It was a prick in his side. It was talking about people. And here's, and I'm going to explain this more in detail in a minute. But here's what I believe basically that he's saying that his thorn in the flesh was. It wasn't sickness. God didn't make him sick. That's contrary to everything else. That by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed who forgives all of your sins, who heals all of your diseases. God didn't make the apostle Paul sick. But there was a demonic messenger, a demon that stirred up persecution through people, which is what all of these verses were talking about. These people are going to persecute you. These people are going to be a problem to you if you don't drive them out. And he said that there was a demonic messenger that stirred up persecution wherever he went. I believe it's in Acts chapter 20 around verse 33. The apostle Paul said... Uh, you know, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's waiting for me, except that the Holy Ghost witnesses that in every city, bonds and afflictions abide me. The apostle Paul suffered affliction and persecution wherever he went. When Paul went into a town, you know, we go and check into a hotel. Paul would go by the jail and he says, save a spot. Amen. I'll be there. I'll be back. Because Paul was going to go to jail. Paul was persecuted. He said this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that it seems like God has set forth us talking about him and the guys that traveled with him last as it were appointed unto death. We are persecuted. You're blessed. We suffer. 
It says we are made like the filth of the world and the off scourge of everything. Paul was rejected and persecuted more than anybody else. You know why? Because there was a demonic messenger that Satan had assigned to him to keep him from being exalted. I mean, the apostle Paul was speaking under divine revelation. The words that he spoke were powerful. People's lives were being changed. He would be thrown into jail and the whole jailer and all of the jail would be saved and miracles were happening. People were raised from the dead. Eutychus was raised from the dead. Miracles were happening through the apostle Paul. And you know what? Satan saw this as he was being exalted. And so what he did was afflict him with persecution in such a way that it made people think twice before they wanted to accept this God that the apostle Paul Worship because look at the way he suffered. And so Satan just assigned a demon to him that was just to buffet him. The word buffet means a repeating type of thing. It wasn't a one-time situation. It isn't describing one thing. The word buffet means that it's repeated. Like uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, it it uses the way that a, a wave beats the shore. It just hits it and then retreats and hits it again. It's just constant. It's over and over and over. This isn't talking about a singular thing that the Apostle Paul had. It's just talking about a repeated buffeting by this demonic messenger. And then in the next verse, it says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Now somebody might ask this question. If what you're saying is true, and if this was a demonic messenger that persecuted him, and if it was persecution, why did Paul pray to be delivered from persecution? Uh, Doesn't it say in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution? Yes, it does. Guess who said that? Paul. He hadn't written that yet. Second Timothy was one of the prison epistles written towards the end of his life. This was a long time before that. He hadn't got that revelation yet. He knew that he had authority over the devil. And so he was just believing and he was asking God for deliverance from this demonic thing. Notice also that the apostle Paul said that he sought the Lord thrice on this thing, three times. You know, most of you, if I was to ask, how many times have you prayed about this healing? Most of you couldn't say, well, it's three times or four times. You'd have to say hundreds, thousands of times I've been asking. We just pray and throw a prayer out there, but the apostle Paul was used to getting his prayers answered. He didn't just pray over things over and over and over. He prayed and believed he received and didn't do this, but this was unusual for him. He says, there was three times I asked God for this. That's a whole different message, but that's a powerful truth right there. It gives an insight into the way that the apostle Paul believed God. But he besought the Lord three times. And I believe it's because he knew that he had authority over the devil and he was asking the Lord to deliver him from this. But here's the Lord's answer in verse 9. And the Lord said unto him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And here is, here is probably the number one reason that people have supposed that Paul's thorn in the flesh was sickness is because of this use of the word infirmity. And to us today, the connotation that we put with the word infirmity is nearly always sickness. That's what we think of when you say you have an infirmity. infirmity. We even call a, you know, a hospital in a, uh, 
and a military base, an infirmary. And uh, we associate it with sickness. But if you look the word infirmity up in the dictionary, it means any lack or inadequacy. And this is the way that it's used in Scripture. Like, for instance, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That's not talking about sickness because the very next phrase says, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. It tells you what an infirmity is. Not knowing how to pray about a situation is an infirmity. That's the scriptural use of this word. And so just not understanding the situation, not knowing exactly how to pray is an infirmity. And you know, Jesus, when he prayed and groaned in the spirit, that's what it's talking about in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says, we know not what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit helpeth our infirmities with groanings that cannot be uttered. Jesus groaned in the spirit in John chapter 11 when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus had an infirmity, not a sin, not a sickness, Nothing like that, but his physical body had to be taught. He didn't come out of the womb speaking Hebrew. He didn't know how to walk and talk and do everything. He had to grow. It says in Luke chapter 2 verse 52 that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus had to grow in the natural part. Now, he was, he was Lord at his birth is what the angels sang. They said, come see the Lord Christ. He was Lord when he was born. That little tiny baby was God Almighty in the body of a human. It was a sinless human, but it was still a physical body and it had to grow and be educated. And so in that sense, Jesus had an infirmity. He didn't with his physical mind know exactly how to deal with that situation with Lazarus being raised from the dead. So he groaned in the spirit twice. And it says in Romans 8, 26 that the purpose of groaning in the Spirit is to help your infirmities because you don't know how to pray as you ought. So um, Jesus groaned in the Spirit and helped his infirmity. This is the way that the word infirmity is used in the Bible. Look right here in the First um, Corinthians. It's, it's in the first letter of the Corinthians. Paul is talking to them. Is that right or is it 2 Corinthians here? No, it's in 2. It's just on the same page. Excuse me. In my Bible, it's on the same page. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul started talking about what his infirmities were. And so let me read some of this to you. Uh, Paul was trying to convince them of his authority and he says, you know what, you've indulge these other people. He says, you ought to listen to me. He says, because I'm an apostle just as much as they are. And he starts listing all of the things that God has done through him. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And in verse um, 23, he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. In other words, what he's saying here is I, he would never make this comparison on his own, but because they are being carnal, he's trying to reason with them carnally. He's talking like a lost man. That's what the word fool in the Bible is used to describe. The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. And so he's saying, I'm talking like a lost man would talk. This is not spiritual, but since you're carnal, I'm going to get down and reason with you carnally. He says, I'm talking like a lost man. Are they ministers of Christ? I am more. Paul would have never have said that on his own. But since these people were wanting some proof, he's just sitting there and arguing with them in a carnal way. He says, I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. 
in deaths oft of, five, of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. When you beat a person with rods, they would hang them up and take metal rods and hit the back of their calves and their ankles and break the bones. He had that happen three different times. Once was I stoned. You can read about this in the book of Acts. I think it's around chapter 18. I'm not sure exactly. I'd have to look it up. But he was stoned. And if he wasn't dead, he was so close to dead that the people tried to kill him, thought he was dead, and walked off. And the disciples stood around about him. And as they prayed, he rose up and walked 20 miles into the next town and preached the next day. If he wasn't dead, he was sure close to it. So he was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils by the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all of the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? You know, in verse, uh, what is that, verse 29, when he says, who is weak? The word weak, if you look the word infirmity up in the dictionary, it means weak, is what the word literally means. As a matter of fact, the NIV translated that word in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where he says, I will glory in my infirmities. The NIV translated, I will glory in my weaknesses, because that's literally what the word means. So he says, who is weak? And I, and I am not weak. Who is offended? And I burn not. In verse 30, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. He had just told you what his infirmities were, and not a single one of those was referring to sickness. It was referring to persecution. Every one of them was talking about persecution, being shipwrecked, stoned, beaten with rods, beaten with whips, in perils uh, in the sea, in perils, all of these things. Every one of them is talking about persecution, and he called them his infirmities. Now, remember that men are the ones that put the chapter and verse divisions in this book for the purpose of reference. There's nothing wrong with it, but chapter 12 isn't a new thought. It's not a new letter. It's the same letter written by the same man. And in just a few sentences later, he says, I will uh, glory in my infirmities in the last part of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. In context, he's talking about, he had listed what his infirmities were and they were persecutions, not sicknesses and not diseases. And so this is what he's talking about. He asked the Lord to remove persecution from him because it hadn't been revealed yet whether you could be redeemed from persecution. I am redeemed from sickness. We are all redeemed from sickness, but we are not redeemed from persecution. If the Lord would have redeemed us from persecution and just stopped all persecution, then you know what? We wouldn't have had the Apostle Paul because he was a persecutor. He helped participate in the martyrdom of Stephen. He hailed Christians and put them in jail and consented witnessed against them, even to their own death. If God would have just stopped all persecution, there wouldn't have been an apostle Paul. We wouldn't have had half of the books that we have in the New Testament. The Lord redeemed us from sickness, but he has not redeemed us from persecution. And Paul at this time, he was, he was standing so strong in the Lord that he was even trying to get rid of this demonic messenger that just stirred up persecution against him. 
And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to do that. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength will be made perfect in weakness. And once Paul understood that, he quit praying about it and he understood that God was glorified when we suffer and when we persecute or persecuted. You know, um, I don't want to get off the subject, but let me just put in a little PS here that, you know what, we are in a very real sense moving out of being a Christian nation into a post-Christian nation. Uh, I don't take any pleasure in saying that. But it's happening. And, you know, just recently I taught on uh, Christian philosophy, if those of you saw that on television, and I was teaching against homosexuality and abortion and things like this. And in the U.K., the government regulating committee in the U.K. called up the television stations and made them pull my programs because it's against the law in the U.K. to say that abortion is murder. And so they pulled my programs. It's against the law to speak against homosexuals. And, man, it caused no small stir, and we got in trouble. And there was, uh, there was some debate whether we could even get into the U.K. for our minister's conference that we held a few weeks ago. But because we have offices over there, they let us in. But anyway, in the U.K., it's real. It's happening. And the man who runs that television station came to our minister's conference and talked about, man, how that they are constantly on his case. And, like, when I was on television uh, on the God Channel, they used to be... Uh, located inside of the UK. They since have moved to Israel because Israel places no restrictions on what you can say as a Christian. But the UK, a quote-unquote Christian nation, has all of these laws and they restricted it so that it, I couldn't say. It's against the law in the UK to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's against the law to say that. You can say the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but you can't present it as if it's truth and it's its authority. And I would put albums up there. One time I said something about spanking your children and they bleeped it out as if it's profanity. It's against the law in the UK to do that. And we look and think, well, how could that be? You know, even a lot of uh, Ashley and Carly over here, a lot of the people from the UK didn't know that these things were true. But when I was broadcasting in the UK, these are the rules and the restrictions. And uh, they fined God TV 25,000 pounds one time because I think it was Jesse Duplantis or one of these guys said something against homosexuality and it got past the censors and they fined them 25,000 pounds, which is around $50,000 every time you say anything against homosexuality, abortion, anytime you voice anything about morality from the Bible. And we look at that and think, how terrible. Did you know that just last week or week before, recently within the last couple of weeks, they passed a defense spending bill here in the United States, $186 billion, I think it was billion dollar defense spending bill that was necessary and the Democrats tacked onto it the Fairness Doctrine uh, amendment and it went through and now the precedent has been set in the United States for the exact same thing to happen. They keep saying, oh, it'll never happen. Nobody will ever enforce it that way. But now they have this thing that you can't speak against any segment. Now you could speak against Christians. You could say that Christians are bigots and you could say any of that, but you couldn't say anything against anybody else or they're going to censor you. So anyway, my point in bringing all of that up is... People think that persecution, you know, has always been somewhere else. I tell you what, we are, we are in a situation right now. I just had a uh, staff member send me an article that was written by a homosexual magazine in Colorado Springs yesterday. And it's all about 
a Bible thumping and Womacks are coming to Wilden Park and they got the mayor involved and they interviewed him and talked about how we are hating homosexuals and they're starting a campaign against us. You know what? They can criticize us, but we can't criticize them. So anyway, my point is that, you know what? Persecution is something that you cannot be redeemed from. And I actually believe that uh, somebody is probably going to have to be censored, fined, put in prison to wake up people and to get the people here in the United States motivated to do something about it. I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if that doesn't happen. I'm not looking for it. I'm not praying for it. (laughs) But you know what? I'm not going to avoid it. If they tell me that I can't get onto the TV and speak the truth, I'm going to continue to speak the truth. And if I go to jail for it, hopefully y'all will stand up and fight for me. Amen. And praise God, it'll get something done. But I'm this is what Paul was saying. He now glories in his tribulations and glories in these persecutions because it's when he's weak that he's strong. And this is what he's talking about. He is not saying that God gave him some ancient disease. Look at this over in uh, Galatians chapter 4. Now, people who've misinterpreted Paul's thorn in the flesh will take these verses and try and tell you what his thorn in the flesh was based on these verses. In Galatians chapter 4 and in verse 13, he says, You know how that through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Now here he's talking about he had an infirmity uh, at the first. And here I believe that this infirmity is talking about something physical in his body. Because in verse uh, 14, he says that my temptation, which was in my flesh, talking about in his physical body, this was something physical in his body. So there was something physical in his body and they didn't despise him or reject him, but they received him as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them unto me. And people take this and say, see, he had something in his flesh. It was associated with his eyes. And so they have believed that Paul had some ancient Aramaic disease that caused runny, puffy eyes and real poor eyesight. And to add to that, they turn over to Galatians chapter 6. And at the end of this chapter, in verse 11, he says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. And I've actually heard people preach that Paul had such poor eyesight that his letters had to be two and three inches tall and he wrote with large letters because of this ruddy, puffy eyes that was his thorn in the flesh. If you look the words up for large, it's not talking about size, it's talking about quantity. It's talking about how many words he wrote, not how big the words were. And you know what? In my Bible, which is very small print, This is about six pages, single space. That's a large letter. And this is what he's talking about. You see how large a letter is. It didn't mean that the letters were two and three inches tall. And when it says that this infirmity that was in his flesh, you would have plucked out your own eyes. 
I don't, that doesn't necessarily mean he had an eye problem. It's the same way as I'd say, man, this person just, they love me so much, I'd give my right arm for Pastor Derry. Does that mean Pastor Derry's arm's bad? It just means I'd, I love him enough that I'd sacrifice even my arm. I'd give him the shirt off my back. Does that mean that he was without a shirt? That's just a figure of speech saying that we would give anything. We would make sacrifices. So when he says you would have plucked out your own eyes, he could have just been using that as an example that you love me so much that you would have sacrificed for me back then. Why, why has it changed? Why don't you love me as much now is the point that he's making. And let me say this. Even if he had runny, puffy eyes, did you know where Galatia was, the church of Galatia? It was the exact place Lystra, Derby, and Iconium were in Galatia. This is where he was stoned and left for dead and walked the next day 20-something miles and preached. And it's possible that if you had been stoned and left for dead, that the next day you might have had a runny, puffy eye. But that doesn't mean that that was your thorn in the flesh and that this is something that God gave you, but you might have had an eye problem because you'd been stoned the day before. And notice he says that my temptation, which was in my flesh, at the first you despise not. In other words, at the first means he got over it. You know, if you are going to use these verses to say that the Apostle Paul had an ancient Aramaic eye disease that caused his eyes to run and swell up, then you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. This is reading between the lines. People who are saying that are straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. They are missing it big time. This is not a verification that his sickness was some kind of thing. Matter of fact, I've already gone through those verses. I don't believe that the word infirmity was even talking about sickness in context. It's talking about persecution. He had a demonic messenger that persecuted him and that was his thorn in the flesh. And it came because of the abundance of the revelations. Until you get to where you've written half the New Testament, you don't even need to worry about Paul's thorn in the flesh. And it was, it was just something that a persecution that came against him. And those, I believe, that are on the front lines, the more out in front of people, the more people you influence, the greater the attack is against you. It's just like when I was in the Army. You know, when we were out on the fire support base, you didn't salute an officer. I made that mistake one time. I saluted this bald-headed major that was walking across our hill, I saluted him and he threw me on the ground and put his foot on my throat. And he says, if you ever see this bald head coming again, you better go the other direction or I'll kill you. And I thought, I'm supposed to salute. I was taught to salute in basic. And he said, not out here on the fire support base. He said, those Vietnamese are looking and they aren't going to salute. They aren't going to kill the one who saluted the officer. They're going to kill the officer. He says, you better never salute me again. The enemy is out after the officers. They're out after the leaders. The more in leadership you get, the more attacks that you have come against you. And so Paul just had a tremendous attack against him. And this is all that his thorn in the flesh is about. This is not saying that God put sickness on him. It wasn't true. God didn't do this. Let me end with these verses over here in Isaiah chapter 53. I, I mentioned these, I, I quoted them briefly last night, but we need to turn and read this. Isaiah chapter 53, actually from Isaiah chapter 40 on through, these are prophecies about the Messiah. John the Baptist quoted from them, and many, many, many of these statements refer to the Messiah. 
And in chapter 53, especially in verse 4, it says, Surely he, talking about Jesus, hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. 1 Peter 2.24 quotes this verse and says, With his stripes we were healed. It's already done. This is quoted over in Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. And this is where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then the word spread. And they began to bring all of the sick and the diseased. And he healed them all that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself bore our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. That's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. And it substitutes the word infirmities and sicknesses for the word sorrows and griefs. And so the Bible comments on itself. Even if you didn't know Greek and Hebrew, you could just keep reading. And when it quotes this verse in the New Testament, it says that he bore our sorrows and carried our griefs. Healing is not an add-on, an addition to our salvation. It is a part of what Jesus purchased for us. He died for your healing as much as he died to forgive your sins. And I know some people doubt that, but look at this verse. And I said that was the last thing, but look at this. It's right here in chapter 52. And in verse 14, it says, As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. You need to think about this. And all of this is talking about his crucifixion. If you read this in context, it's very easy to see that this is talking about his crucifixion. And it says he was his visage. The word visage is an old English word for face. Matter of fact, if you look in some of the modern translations, this is exactly what it means. His face was marred more than any man. That's a huge statement. That is a huge statement. You know, I deal with probably more sick people than most of you do. And I may have seen more things than some of you have, but I have seen people that are just, I mean, it's terrible, terrible what sickness and disease and things have done to him. I had one man come to me. His name was um, Churchill in Kansas City. And this man had a towel over his face like this, and he was talking and asked me to pray for him, and I couldn't understand what he was Praying, uh, saying, and finally I just said, look, you're going to have to move the towel for me to understand you. And he took the towel away and cancer had eaten off his nose, his, his cheeks and everything. And you could see up inside of his cavities, his, his sinuses up in there. And, and it was raw and it was pouring out fluids. It was grotesque looking. This says that Jesus' face was marred more than that. I had a man come to me at that same set of meetings who had a uh, big old thing over his eye and he took it off and cancer, he had cancer that had grown out of his eye. His old eye was gone and his, this side of his face was all cancer. It was terrible looking, raw flesh. Jesus looked worse than that. And then the last part of this verse says, and his form more than the sons of man. That's talking about his body didn't even look human. I know some of you are thinking, oh, it couldn't mean that. You go study this out, look in other translations, 
Study the words out. This is exactly what it's talking about. His face was marred more than any human face has ever been. His form, his body was marred so much it didn't even look human. You know, I know many of you saw that show, The Passion of the Christ, and it really brutalized Jesus and showed vivid detail. And yet Mel Gibson himself said that he couldn't make it as bad as it was because it would have been triple X-rated and nobody would have come. And according to the scripture, it didn't even begin to do justice. You know, the beating that he received, it, it showed Jesus brutalized and it showed terrible suffering and flesh exposed, but it still looked like a person hanging on the cross. The scripture says he didn't even look human. It wasn't recognizable as a person. I don't believe any amount of Roman beating could have done that. You know what this really is? And I hadn't got time to explain it. You can accept this as andeology if you want to, but it's, I believe, accurate based on my study of the Scripture. You know what happened? He not only was beaten with whips, and he not only had those things happen, but he bore the sickness of the world. Every sickness, every disease that has ever happened to the human race came into the physical body of Jesus. If you've ever seen these things on the internet where it shows people that have these warts and tumors all over them so that you can't even recognize their hands. They look like tree trunks and elephant titus and people swollen up and terrible things happen. Every sickness, every malady, every disease that has ever hit the human race or ever will hit the human race, all of that sickness and disease entered into the physical body of Jesus on the cross so that his face looked worse than any person who has ever lived. His form was so bad he didn't even look human. And he didn't do that for himself. He did it for us. He bore our sickness. He carried our diseases. With his stripes we are healed. And so I just make this point that if Jesus bore that for us, why would you bear it? Why do we feel like somehow or another we have to bear these things? Either it's through deception because something has not been taught correctly, it's been mistaught, and we've been taught that this is our thorn in the flesh, our cross to bear, which is wrong. Or it is just some attempt to justify, and I believe that this is probably more true of ministers than other people, that it's an attempt to, to deal with failure. When you go to preaching healing, like what I'm doing, you aren't going to see every single person healed. I don't know why. I'm still learning. I don't have an answer. But you aren't going to see every single person healed. You know, I've got Dwayne and Hobbs back here, and he was my uh, boss when I was pouring cement. Back before I got into the ministry, man, we had some awesome times. And I remember I was thinking during the praise and worship that a good friend of mine, my very best friend, when he got married, had a baby that was born without surfactant in the lungs, which is something that clears your lungs and gets rid of all of the ambiotic fluid or however you say that and allows a child to breathe. And this baby was born without this, and so its lungs were all clogged up with this mucus. And I remember Dwayne. Dwayne was much stronger in faith and healing than what I was. And so Dwayne and, and Jonah and other people came up to the hospital. And I mean, for three or four days, we had prayer going. We were fighting. We were rebuking. We were standing and believing for that little baby to be healed. 
And I stayed up there for two or three days, 24 hours a day, just standing there praying. But my best friend and I, we were really young in this. It was these other people that we were leaning on. And you know what? I remember that the doctor said that she had never lived. And then she lived through that day. And they said, well, she, she can't live another day. She lived through that day. And finally they said, well, if she does get over this and her body begins to start producing this surfactant on its own, the heart will kill her because it's been so hard on her. And we prayed and she got over that. And finally the doctors came in and said, we don't understand. It's a miracle. This baby is alive. It should be dead, but it's a miracle. And they called this baby the miracle baby. And we were all sitting around and just praising God. And thanking God, and, and we had been up there for days, and so finally Dwayne and everybody else left, and, and Steve and I were just left sitting there. And we were just thanking God for all of this. And then we got tired, and we were about to fall asleep. And I mean, it's like somebody opened up a door, and this cold uh, feeling hit both of us. We weren't even talking. We were both falling asleep in this waiting room. And something hit us. Man, I jolted straight up. And I sat up and I looked at Steve and he started crying. I mean, fear and unbelief hit us both tangibly. And we looked at each other and all of the people that we had been depending on were gone. And we were just sitting there on our own and we weren't strong enough. And you know what? We looked at each other and Steve started crying. And within five minutes, a nurse came out and says, I don't know what happened, but your little daughter just died. And she died. We had seen her come through it. They'd pronounced that she was the miracle baby, that she was going to make it, and boom, she died. And you know what? I don't understand all of these things. And when things like that happen, you want to come up with some reason like, well, it must have been God's will. We did our best. But you know, the truth is, it wasn't God that killed that little baby. That wasn't God's will. And even though I have to accept responsibility that I wasn't as strong as I needed to be or whatever, I'm not condemned about it because, man, I was doing the best we knew how. We gave it everything we had. It's just like, you know, when you, I, was, I was sitting in my hotel room today and I was watching planes come in and land and take off. And I was thinking, you know what? Most of these planes, it's a miracle that they fly. I'm still amazed that a plane that weighs thousands, tons, tons, can get off the ground and fly. It just amazes me. But I remember when there was a plane out here at DFW that was banking on a turn and all of a sudden crashed. And they said that it was wind shear about 15 or 20 years ago and everybody was killed. I remember in Colorado Springs that there was one that actually drove into the ground. It accelerated as it went into the ground, killed every person on board. And, you know, sometimes when that happens, they, they send in the uh, um, FCC or whatever, FAA, I don't know what it is. They send in the government agency to determine what the cause is. Sometimes they can determine that it's pilot error, wind shear, or this or that. But if they can't find the cause, they never say, well, aerodynamics just weren't working on that day. It was impossible to fly. They never doubt the laws. They know that it's possible to fly. And sometimes they still can't come up with an answer, but they don't quit flying. They don't just say, well, it just doesn't always work. No, it does always work. We don't always know how to work it. We might have made a mistake. Maybe there was something wrong someplace and maybe nobody's to blame, but something happened. I guarantee you there's a reason why planes fly and there's a reason why planes crash. 
There's a reason why people get healed and there's a reason why people don't get healed. I don't understand it all yet, but you know what? I'm going to keep flying. I'm going to keep praying for the sick. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. And my friend, he went the other direction because of a negative experience and quit believing that it was God's will to heal. That's wrong. You know what? I don't have all of the answers, but I do know that Jesus bore my sickness and carried my diseases. I know that my sicknesses came into his body. And there is no point in me suffering what Jesus has already suffered. I can't, I can't honor him by doing that. Matter of fact, it's honoring God to say, well, he bore it. I'm not going to bear it. If somehow or another I could sacrifice one of my sons for you, and then you said, oh, well, I appreciate it, but you know what? I can bear this on my own. It's just fine. Well, then you've just voided my sacrifice. Why did I go to the effort? And there's a lot of people that just think, well, you know, I can live with this. I had a man come to me one time, and he had problems from head to toe. He says, man, I got this pain in my neck. It goes down to my back. He described that. His hips were hurting, his sciatic nerve. He says, all the way down to my feet, I got neuropathy. And he just named everything. And then he says, but you know what? I could live with the rest if you just get rid of the pain in my neck. And I said, oh, I understand. We better just pray for the pain in your neck because if we prayed for all of this at one time, the lights in heaven might dim. I'm not sure God's got enough power to pull all of this off at one time. Let's not tax God. This guy just looked at me and he says, boy, that's pretty dumb, wasn't it? I said, it was real dumb. You know what? Jesus has already born it. Why wouldn't we take advantage of it? There's people that are afraid. Well, if I step out, I might fail. Well, if you don't step out, I can guarantee you, you're going to fail. I'd rather shoot at the stars and if you miss, hit the moon than to shoot at nothing and hit it every time. I don't understand everything, but I understand this. Jesus died for my sickness and disease. And I hate sickness and disease. And I am not going to bear it. And I am not honoring God by me bearing it. I fight sickness like the plague that it is. I hate sickness. I hate disease. And because of it, I walk in health. I would encourage you to adopt the same attitude. Amen. It all starts with knowing that Jesus bore your sickness and carried your disease. And don't hide behind Paul's thorn in the flesh or something else. Believe that God wants you well. That is the majority of the battle right there. If you believe that without any reservations, most of the time that will produce healing in your body if you don't compromise on that. Amen. Amen. I got a lot more to share, but I'm out of time. I'm over time. And so I'm just going to, I'll pick it up tonight. I don't ever quit. I don't ever finish. I just quit and I start over again. And so uh, we'll pick this up tonight. We're going to continue to talk about healing and share things with you that'll help you to start receiving the healing power of God in your body. Let me ask this morning if there's anybody here who is not born again. If you don't know Jesus personally, You need to be born again. You need to make Jesus your personal Savior. It's not enough just to believe that He exists. The Bible says even the devils believe and tremble. But won't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? You need to do more than just believe that He exists. You need to make Him your personal Savior and Lord. If you've never done that, you need to do that today. And then once you get born again, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Last night, I don't even know how many we had. It's over a hundred. Do you? How many? Oh, there was 85 that went back there. I thought it was over 100. 
Maybe some of you didn't go back to the room, but we had a slew of people last night receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. I haven't got time to explain that, but speaking in tongues is a part of this. And I can tell you, you aren't going to move into this supernatural realm where you start experiencing the healing power of God on a consistent basis without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It includes speaking in tongues. It's not limited to speaking in tongues. There's much more to it than that. But I tell you, speaking in tongues is a powerful, powerful gift. If you don't have that, you need it. Is there anybody here this morning that would say, I need one or both of those? Either I need to get born again, make Jesus my personal Savior, and or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I need this gift of speaking in tongues. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and let me pray with you, and you can receive here today. Here's a hand back there. Anybody else? Here's a number of hands over here. Here's another way of saying it. If you don't speak... Somebody says, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to give you a free book. I'm going to pray for you. We don't have a church for you to join. We're wanting to help you, not hurt you. You got no reason not to come. Somebody says, well, I've already prayed for this and nothing happened. What if I go up there and nothing happens? I can guarantee you if you come up, if you don't come up here, nothing's going to happen. You got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. If you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your life, you need it. I'd encourage you to come. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward right now? And we want to minister to you and help you to receive. Just come forward right now and let us pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, this is going to change your life. I believe that. Anybody else? You know, there's probably other people sitting out there that are thinking, well, I don't know about this. But I do. You aren't sure. I am sure. There's some of you that have heard me give testimony about my son being raised from the dead after being dead for five hours, came back from the dead. You've heard things and you think you would like to have that. I'm telling you what produces that power and you aren't sure whether you want it. If you like the fruit, you ought to get the root. You ought to get what produced it. I'm telling you, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that changed my life. You need it. If there's anybody else here, I'd like to ask you to come forward. If you don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you aren't speaking in tongues, you ought to come up here and let us pray with you. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Good. I knew that there were some of you hiding out back there. All right, before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you first of all need to make Jesus your Lord. Jesus is the giver of the Holy Spirit. You have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. You must be born again. And there's a lot of confusion. People think, well, I'm a good person. Isn't that enough? No, there's, hell's going to be full of good people. You can't earn salvation by being a good person. The Bible says even the devil believes and trembles at the name of God. But you've got to do one thing that the devil's never done. 
and that's make Jesus your Lord. Satan is living a life completely independent of God. You have to yield yourself and submit yourself to God. So is there anybody up here who has never done that? You aren't absolutely sure that you're born again and you want to do that first. You must receive Jesus before you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anybody? Anybody here need to pray and be born again? Are all of you born again? Are you sure? I'm not trying to talk you out of it. You just got to be sure. Everybody here is sure. Awesome. Well, then according to the scripture, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what God created you for. It's so that he can fill you with his power. God wants you to have the Holy Spirit more than you want to have him. So you don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. Some people will teach that you can't have any sin in your life before you get the Holy Spirit. If you could get rid of sin in your life without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. Amen. The reason you need the Holy Spirit is to give you power to overcome so you don't have to have every... If you've got problems in your life, you qualify. God is going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. It says that if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's all you got to do is ask and believe that you receive. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we aren't going to beg. We're just going to believe and receive the Holy Spirit. And then I've got our prayer ministers and I'd like to ask them to come up here and stand behind you. And they're going to lay hands on you because the Bible says that when you lay hands on people, the Holy Spirit was given. So you can literally release the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. So I'm going to pray with you and we're going to ask, then they're going to lay hands on you. And then I want you to quit asking and start believing and thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. You got to move out of the asking stage and into where you believe that God gave you the Holy Spirit. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. Then I want you to start thanking the Lord by faith that you receive. Some people are really emotional when they receive the Holy Spirit. When I received it, I didn't feel anything, but I got it. I can pray in tongues with the best of them. So you may or may not feel something, but you just need to believe that God promised you that if you ask, you'll receive. So that's what we're going to do. And after we lay hands on you, I want you to start thanking God out loud. I want you to raise your hands like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender, I yield. The Bible says when you lift up your hands in the sanctuary, it blesses God. It's you that I receive. These are your spiritual antennas. Amen. And it allows your reception to come in better. So we're going to pray. They're going to lay hands on And then we're going to start thanking God. And then the Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you are giving thanks well. So we're going to start giving thanks by praying in tongues. And as we speak in tongues and start praising God, I want you to join in with us. Because God is going to give you the Holy Spirit and He's going to give you this ability to speak in tongues. And you may think, well, man, I don't know how to do it. I've got a whole book that nobody had more trouble speaking in tongues than I did. I, I was a Baptist, and I had a lot of problems speaking in tongues. But you know what? I got over it. And I now have got the truth, and I've written it in this book, and it'll help you. But if you're ready, you can speak in tongues right now. You could receive it right now. You don't have to wait, but you can speak in tongues. So that's what we're going to do. Everybody ready? The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. And I will speak with tongues. Father, I thank you for all of these. They've all been born again. They've made you their Lord. 
And so, Father, we just thank you that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is what you created us for. Father, you want to fill us more than we want to be filled. So we just open up the doors of our temples. We open up our hearts and we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us. Come into our lives. Come give us power. Father, we want your gifts, this gift of speaking in tongues and every other gift that you have for us. We want your power operating in us. And so we welcome you into our temples right now in Jesus' name. We lay hands on you and say, receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power and anointing to flow into your body right now in Jesus' name. Man, there is the anointing, the power of God flowing. Father, we thank you for filling every one of us. Now let's lift your hands and I want you to start thanking God. Thank God out loud. You can start off in English. Thank Him that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that I am God-possessed, that your power now infills me. Thank you that I am not powerless anymore, but I've received the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now, those of you who know how to pray in tongues, let's pray in tongues so that they won't feel like we're listening to them. And as we speak in tongues, you just join in with us. You begin to speak right now. Quit speaking in English and talk in tongues. Hallelujah. I know that this sounds strange. You wonder what's happening, but you're bypassing your brain. You're going around your head and you're praying out of your heart. It's like when a little baby starts praying at first. You, you don't feel like they're really saying words, but the Father knows what they're saying. God the Father hears your heart. And as you get over the newness of it, it'll just flow out of you. It'll be multiple languages. Thank you, Jesus. That's it. Just speak. Man, a bunch of these are speaking in tongues. Isn't this great? Thank you, Jesus. Man, that's the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You know, this doesn't make any sense to you right now, but I promise you it's a powerful, powerful gift. It's going to make a difference in your life. You're communicating from your spirit, not your head. Thank you, Jesus. You got to open your mouth to pray in tongues. You can't pray in tongues with your mouth closed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't this great? Man, many, many, many of these are praying in tongues. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. Sorry to interrupt you, but you know what? Whether you prayed in tongues or not, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit. He said He'd give the Holy Spirit to those that ask. In my own case, I didn't speak in tongues immediately, but I received the Holy Spirit. It took me a while to pray in tongues because like I said, I was a Baptist and I had so much wrong thinking about it. But when I started speaking in tongues, it's like somebody flipped a switch. And I mean, it was, it was much, much greater power. You need to go ahead and speak in tongues. And so I've got a book where I've written about all of this. I show you from Scripture what all of this is about. I show you the objections and the things that I didn't understand that kept me from speaking in tongues. And I'll give this book to you as a gift just to help you because I believe that this could be the biggest thing that you've ever received in your life. This is going to make a difference. I guarantee you, it changed my life to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this could be the most significant thing that's happened to you since you got born again. 
So we want to make sure you get the full benefit of it. We have Ashley right here. He's the one in the blue with his hand up. And he's going to take you and give you this book. Also, if any of you have any questions, if you need somebody just to pray with you and help you to speak in tongues, they'll do it. And it'll only take a moment. We want to give you this book. So just follow Ashley right here down the aisle. They got a room right in the back. And we want to make sure you get the full benefit out of this. Amen. Let's praise God for all of these. Amen. God bless you. It's cold. Hey, God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. I believe you're going to be stronger than horseradish. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that great? So that's for sure over 100 people. I thought there was over 100 last night, but praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you, Jesus. Let me remind you once again that we have CDs and DVDs of last night and this morning already duplicated out there. You can pick them up on your way out as well as other materials Uh, I always have somebody ask and say, well, I can't be here tonight. Could I go ahead and get tonight's DVD? No, you can't. And I'm not even going to honor that with an explanation, amen. But you can't. But uh, you could get last night and this morning. These are our prayer ministers down here. And these are people that know how to believe God. They've all been through a training session with Melinda over here, the head of our uh, prayer ministry. And these people are wanting to lay hands on you. And like I was talking about at the very beginning of this service, we have learned that you can teach these truths. And it's not just an anointing on one person. It's just the truth of God's Word and people who believe it that are releasing this power. So if you would like prayer, I'd like to ask you to come forward and let one of our prayer ministers just lay hands on you. This way we'll be able to minister to all of you if you like prayer. So if you want prayer, just get up and come forward right now. We've got people standing at the aisles that will direct you towards a prayer minister so that everybody just won't get on one side. And the rest of you, if you don't want prayer, just please give us a moment. Let these people get out into the aisles and then I'll release you. Last night I was praying and I operated in the gifts of the Spirit and we called out healings and saw a lot of people healed that were sitting out in the auditorium. You're welcome to stay and pray with us. But uh, you're dismissed if you need to be. Remember, we'll be back tonight at 7 o'clock and then tomorrow morning and also tomorrow night. And uh, it's going to be good. We've just been establishing that it is God's will to heal. Next, we're going to start talking about how do you receive this healing? How do you get it to manifest? God bless you. You're dismissed if you need to be. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you and we agree with all of these people. Believe in the name of Jesus that by your stripes they've already been healed. We believe that you've already borne this. That Jesus, you became sickness so that we could be well. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, we release this healing into all of these people right now in Jesus' mighty name. 
We believe that unbelief, fears are being broken and that your power is being released into them right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 